Welcome to Locked On Heat, your daily podcast on the Miami Heat. I'm Wes Goldberg with David Ramil, and on today's show, Antoine Walker joins us during our 2006 NBA Finals rewatch to talk about the 2006 season, Dwayne Wade's emergence, and share some great stories about the team. Look, if you're a Heat fan, you are going to love this interview. Antoine was great, and we're really excited to share this conversation with you. Enjoy. You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, really excited for this. Three-time All-Star and NBA champion Antoine Walker joining the show now. Antoine, thanks so much uh, for for jumping on and joining us today. Um, just We're going through uh, the 2006 NBA Finals, and we wanted to talk to you about it. And we're, we're doing a rewatch series for the show. And one of the things that stood out is after two games, obviously you guys are 0-2, but I got to be honest, it did not look good for you guys after those two games. And, <laughs> you know, you had national media writing you guys off, basically crowning the Mavericks. And I, I'm just curious, take us inside the locker room after those first two games in Dallas, those two losses. What are you guys saying to each other? What is Pat Riley's message to you guys? And did you kind of know what what was in store for you guys coming back to Miami? Well, for me personally, I, I definitely didn't know what was in store. And, and I, I can recall um, going to Shaq and just was like, yo, you know, what, where are we at right now? And, and Shaq was like, you know, don't worry. You know, we're going home. We got an opportunity. We got three games at home. We just got to get one. Um, but we never wavered, um, as crazy as it sounds, because they kind of handled us pretty well both games. You know, they weren't really close games. So, um, but we, we felt confident. We felt like Shaq hadn't wasn't able to put his imprint on the game because of foul trouble, and and we felt like we would defend them well enough. Well, at least Dirk for the most part, even though you know we know how tough Dirk was back then, but we still felt like we was confident if we can get one at home, that we can get back in this series. So game three was pivotal. We knew what we had to do, but a very confident group. We never it, it wasn't like nobody pointing any fingers, but. Once Shaq gave me the okay, like, we're going to be good. For me personally, I felt good going into game three, uh, moving on throughout the rest of the series. I, I think us in the media, we talk about adjustments. Hey, this team's got to make adjustments. They got to make an adjustment mm-hmm. and this kind of stuff. And I, I don't know that we really know what we're talking about when, when we say those things. Uh, did you guys make any strategic changes or adjustments in that series that you think really changed things? No, I think, you know, one thing about Coach Riley, um, he's very consistent. Um, he's not afraid to make changes if he feels like something is not working. But we just stay stubborn. We kind of stay with our game plan, um, especially defensively. We wanted to keep multiple bodies at, at dirt. So myself, Posey, and, and UD uh, wanted to continue to guard them, keep giving them different looks. And then offensively, uh, we knew D-Wade was – in one of those rhythms, you know, it's just kind of like, you know, and we deferred, we deferred to yeah. D-Wade maybe sometimes a little bit too much, but I mean, he had an unbelievable series. So we wanted to play off him. Um, guys understood their role. He was going to be the first option. Uh, we tried to establish Shaq inside, but that was a tough series for Shaq. He was in foul trouble a lot in most of those games. Um, so we couldn't really get him going. Um, but we knew Alonzo was playing at a very, very high level, too. Um, so we used, we used Zoe a lot. But we never changed our, our game plan. Our whole thing was to make sure we put multiple bodies on dirt, keep him working, make it hard for him to score. We knew he was going to score. Uh, but we stayed with the same game plan. 
You mentioned deferring to Dwayne there, and I think that's such a big thing because, of course, you know, in hindsight, watching his incredibly historic performance, and I don't think anybody really at the time expected that from him. Was there some kind of an understanding inside the locker room that Dwayne was able to take over and dominate in the way that Shaq wasn't able to over the first couple of games of the series? Well, you never know. Every series is different, and you go into each series, you don't know who's going to have a high hand. Um, and Dwayne got it going. You just can tell that <clears throat> you could tell that this was going to be one of those series. Started to make his jump shot. And you guys remember this. Dwayne wasn't necessarily a great three-point shooter, no, a jump shooter. Sure. Dwayne was a slasher, get to the basket, get to the foul line. But he was making jump shots. He was making timely threes. So this is like one of them series that we knew we we're going to have to, to play off him and do all the little things. Uh, and this was from everybody. Everybody's going to have to pitch in, do the little things. And let's let this guy carry us to, to the promised land. You mentioned uh, Pat Riley, uh, you know, and his, uh, you know, just the way he handled things. But, you know, a lot of people kind of forget how badly that season started. Obviously, you had Stan Van mm -hmm. Gundy as the head coach. Uh, then he mm -hmm. resigned, although there's some debate about that still. But then you had Shaq's <laughs> injury as well. At the start of the season, when things were going so badly, like, what were the expectations from you as far as what this team was able to accomplish? You mentioned that you weren't able to, you, you didn't waver during the finals, but at the start of the season, I don't think anybody really had those kinds of expectations that you'd be able to compete in the NBA for an NBA championship at the start of the season, especially given how everything started off so badly. Well, just give you a little story, just for me personally to the team part of it. I mean, when I came in, I was the guy that averaged 20 and 10 and, um, Stan called me on the phone. I never forget. And he said, Hey, I'm gonna have to bring you off the bench. And he was like, you know, um, you know, we like UD in the starting lineup. Um, I'm going to run all the plays for D Wade and Shaq in the beginning of the games. So I can run more things for you coming off the bench. And that was already a wake up call for me, um, as, as a player, because obviously my goals and everything, this is the first time in my career that I'm thinking championship, championship only. Um, so what sacrifice do I have to make to make this work? So um, I understood the excitement, understood what I had to do. So I came off the bench the first 20 games of the season. And obviously we didn't get off to a bad start. I think Shaq got hurt in game one or game two. Game two. Um, so, yeah, so he missed a significant amount of time. And we was like 10 to 10. I mean, we were struggling to find our identity. You're talking about eight, nine new guys on the team together. But I would say this, and – one thing I would say about this team, the team that a lot of people don't understand, and you guys know from following, we had that slogan, 15 strong. Yeah. Um, this group never fought, never bitched at each other, never did anything that was going to deter us from the common goal of winning the championship. And we knew that. And that's that, that doesn't happen a lot, especially when the expectations are to win the NBA title. Um we had nothing to do with the Pat Riley coming down. So I think that's that's where it all started at. Uh, we were 10 and 10, and, and Pat came down and and just changed everything. Um, kind of pretty much changed the culture. Um, really emphasized this is about championships. This is about sacrificing. We're going to do whatever it takes to win. And the first thing for me personally, he put me back in the starting lineup. He told me, you have to learn how to play with those guys. Um, he felt like I was the best guy um, to throw it, you know, besides Jason Williams, to throw it inside and space the floor. And he said, you just got to figure it out, how to play with them. And one thing he did that I thought was great, 
he would always sub me out first. If you watch that team, I was the one guy that came out first so I could play with the second unit. Um, and that was one of the strategies that we had that worked really well. And, and we kind of rotated me, Posey and Udonis kind of, you know, really rotated that small forward, the power forward thing. And, and it really worked out. So he came in and changed things, gave guys direct roles on what they're going to be. We got down to maybe a nine, start playing nine guys. Yeah. He wasn't playing, you know, you know, 12, 15 guys. He was playing nine guys. We got a rotation down. And everything was about a championship, even the way we kind of carried the season out. I remember the last seven, eight games, we had kind of secured a playoff spot. And he came in there and told us, what seed do you guys want to be? We can play this all the way out. And you can figure out we can be as high as seed we, that we can be. Uh, he said, one thing I think we should have is home court advantage. And I think we end up being a three seed in the playoffs. He was a two or three seed. Two seed, yeah, second seed. Two seed, yeah. And so we ended up being a two seed. But I remember that because it was like the last three, four games. And Rouse was like, you guys want games off or you want to play this thing all the way through? And and that was some of the, that was the goal. And once guys got locked in, we wanted to know we wanted to have home court advantage. And we ended up winning 52 games and making it a little a, above average season for ourselves. Yeah, I'd say so. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. If you haven't tried Built Bar Puffs yet, you're depriving yourself of one of life's greatest joys. And guess what? There's a new flavor, delicious, indulgent cookie dough covered in chocolate. That's right. Built has done it again. Let me introduce you to your new favorite, cookie dough chunk puffs. They have a light and chewy texture, real cookie dough chunks, and of course, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. All the joys of eating cookie dough without the hassle of making it, plus it's good for you. Cookie dough chunk puffs are only 160 calories, and they have a whopping 15 grams of protein. Run to Built.com, the snag a box for you and the family. It's going to be the perfect treat, or you can find a really good hiding place and just hoard them for yourself. Like all Built Bars, the new Cookie Dough Chunk Puff is covered in 100% real chocolate. That means they're healthy and tasty. Chocolate-covered cookie dough with a light, fluffy texture. They are delicious. And what's great about Built is that all of their bars are made with collagen protein, which your body absorbs more efficiently and provides tons of health benefits. Eat something that tastes good and is good for you. You're going to love the new Cookie Dough Chunk Puff. Whether you need a snack for your workout, a late-night treat, or just need to grab a quick bite, Built is the perfect protein bar, and they taste better than a candy bar. Ditch the calories, fat, and sugar. Grab yourself a Built Bar. Go to Built.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off on your order. Again, use that promo code LOCKED15. You mentioned uh, you know, the changes with Riley. Uh, you know, It's not a knock on Stan, but... What was it about Riley and his ability to connect with you all as players and as people that was maybe a little different than what Van Gundy had been able to do during the first few games of the season? Obviously, you weren't there the previous two years when he had been coaching the team. He had gone a lot of those particular groups, but he kind of seemed like he'd lost the locker room a little bit towards the, the end of his tenure. What was different about Van Gundy and Riley as head coaches? I think Stan was a screamer yeller. Um, you know, every guy doesn't take well to that. Yeah. Um, and then you think about myself, Gary, Jason Williams, Posey, the four or five guys that got added to that team. I mean, that's different. You have you brought in veteran guys that knew how to play um, that you didn't have to do that with. And I, I know that stands personality. This is how he coaches. Um, but Pat was more of a, a veteran coach. He knew how to handle players. He held you accountable um, in film sessions. It was real simple. It was it was not a a chewing out process. It was more like you got to man up and do your job and 
and he puts you on front street. It's just like if you're late for practice, you pay your fine and get on the court. You know what I mean? You gotta, you know, you know you're gonna get fined. It's like body fat and weight every week. You know, every Monday you're gonna get weighed, body fat, and, and when you don't make it, you get fined. It's not a big, it's not held, you're held accountable. He treats you like a man and every you know the rules and regulations to what it was. And I think guys respected that. Um, and, and I think that's what we really held our hat on. And like I said, I can't overstate how close we were. Uh, this is the one team, especially in the NBA, that very seldom you would catch, not catch six or seven or eight guys at dinner on a road trip. Mm. That's rare in the NBA where you see guys that guys usually go their own way and you'll catch one or two guys, but you will see seven, eight guys hanging together, kicking it. And even at home, we was hanging together, going to each other's house and all type of team functions. So I think all that played a part in us winning the championship. Who got fined the most? <laughs> oh, that's tough. Um, well, it depends because really the most of the fines came from body fat and weight. Pat was a real stickler on that. And, yeah. you know, and if you was 1% off of what you're supposed to be, he was fining you for it. So that kind of spread it throughout the whole, the whole team. Everybody got a couple of those. You could tell us it was Shaq. You could say it. <laughs> Shaq didn't like doing it. Shaq used to put baby oil on. So he, you know, so, the, uh, so he couldn't get, um, so he couldn't, they couldn't get the body fat thing right. <laughs> that work? I mean, it's the, piss off, it's, it's the piss the train off. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if it works. It, it can't pinch the skin as closely with all that baby oil. <laughs> right. Oil. right. There you go. So he's all up. So on Monday, he used to oil up, put baby oil on. The, uh, to mess with the strength and conditioning coach. <laughs> That's great. Um, so to go back to the, the 2006 finals, at that point, again, you guys are down 0-2. At that point in, in the league history, it had only been, like, a team had only come back down from 2-0 twice in the history of the league. And at that at, by 2006, it hadn't been done in almost 30 years. I think when we talk about the 2006 finals, there's so much, there's so many great stories about it. You know, Dwayne Wade emerging and, and the first championship in, in Miami Heat franchise history. But in terms of the comeback, the comeback and just how rare it was at that point, do you, do you think that you guys or, or that people give like fully appreciate what it was that you accomplished and coming back down from O2 and, and not losing again at all? Like you guys won four straight games. No, I don't, I don't think people really appreciate it and, and know how, actually great of a team that was. I always tell people um, one thing that's special about that team I played on, I played with four Hall of Famers, man. You know what I mean? I played with Gary, Alonzo, D-Wade, and, and Shaq D-Wade will be a Hall of Famer here soon. And um, that's special. I played for a Hall of Fame coach and Pat Riley. Um, Eric Sposal, you know, head assistant at the time, he'll be a Hall of Fame, you know, in the Hall of Fame. It's just a special group, group of guys that I play with and people um, don't understand that. I think people what you just said, don't understand how great of a finals Dwayne Wade had. We talk about some of these LeBron and, you know, Steph Curry and Michael. We talk about all these other guys, um, NBA finals. And Dwayne Wade, to me, that's a top five ever NBA finals, the performance that he put on. So I just think that championship is very special. We was the first one to get one in Miami. We think about the expansion team getting there. Um, maybe because it's that, you kind of devalue it a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. but I think it's one that you, you come back from O2 against those odds. And these were very good games, entertaining games that went down to the wire. Um, where you had to make plays late 
um, was great. And you, it's hard to beat a team four times, let alone in the NBA Finals and in the playoffs. It's just hard to do it. So I think people got to understand how hard that was and what we really accomplished. When you think about Dwayne Wade, I agree with you. I think it was one of the great finals ever. And maybe just because at this point, it, it, it's almost 20 years ago and we just don't remember it. And there's been so many great performances since then, but it has to be up there. And I, and the way D Wade did it, he just sort of came onto the scene and then he just, sna- it felt like he just snatched the finals. He was like, this is mine now. And I just, when you think back and maybe you're hanging out, talking to your buds or whatever you're doing, and, and, and you want to go to one Dwayne Wade story, what is the story that you like to tell? Um, I always like to tell because when I got there, obviously when it, when I got there, they had he had just come off really making an impact that first year. They got to the Eastern Conference Finals. Shaq had just got there. Um, but the one thing that I can always say, the the work that he put in, um, watching him work with Eric Sprosum every day to expand his game, to become a better jump shot shooter, a better mid-range player, to now be able to make the occasional three-point shot, um, from when the beginning of the season where everything was to the basket, mm-hmm. you know, Dwayne, he, he played the most of the game on the floor from driving to the basket all the time, getting fouled. But the one thing I always tell people to watch him expand his game was something special. And then to see it all come together at the most um, important time and the most pivotal time of the season in the finals was, was, was remarkable to see. In watching the broadcast, I had totally forgotten that you had briefly played with Dallas. Like I, I thought in the timeline of your career that had happened after your time in Miami. But no, I played see, a whole year in Dallas. That's right. That's right. Uh, I, I did you have an edge? Did you? I mean, playing against your former teammates with the Mavericks, did you see anything while you were out on the floor that maybe you could relate to the the rest of the guys or even Coach Riley? about what, you know, their tendencies were and things of that sort. I know it was different coaching, right? Because Avery Johnson wasn't the coach yeah. at that time, but it was yeah. it was still the same team, basically. Uh, was there anything that you could point out and say, oh, I know what they're doing or I know what they're going to run? My, my, for me, more it was about, more about Dirk, probably, yeah. and giving them tidbits on Dirk. I you know, played a full season with him and knowing that you have to be physical with him, get him off the spot, um, knowing that he's resilient, that he, you know, even though you've been physical with him, he's going to come back. He's relentless. So just really emphasizing how good Dirk really was as a player. And I think that's where my expertise came in that. Obviously, I played under Don Nelson. Avery Johnson was the coach uh, with them. And, and they had some other uh, players. But even Josh Howard yeah. was, and was obviously there in Dallas with me, Marquise Daniels. Um, so I had, I knew I had some tad bits, and I guarded Josh. And so I knew some things that can help him throughout the scouting report. But mainly where my expertise came at in playing in Dallas was mainly just really showing up guys, telling guys how we can be physical with Dirk and how we can play him. Hey, you guys did a really good job of, of limiting him or at least keeping him from going off on a number of games. Like, I know like between you, Pose, UD, all of you had your chances to guard him. But what was what was the key? Was it just like you said, being physical or getting him off of his spots, you know, so that he wouldn't be able to get that jump shot going? Oh, yeah, without question. And not fouling try to defend him without fouling, which yeah. is tough to do, right. and make him take tough shots. Um, but I think because he got so many different looks, um, you know, UD is going to be really physical with him and front him and do a lot of things. Posey's got long arms. He's, you know, quick. And, you know, then I'm coming in, giving him a different look. So I think it's different. The different looks kind of probably wore him a little bit. Because, you know, as an offensive player, when, you know, one guy's guarding you, throughout a series, you kind of figure out what's going to work and what's not going to work. 
but we're giving him multiple looks and just try not to give him a lot of open shots. We know he's going to make tough shots, and we just try not to give him too many open ones. I always forget this, but when watching these games, again, the broadcast always talks about Dallas's depth, like they're the much deeper team and everything else like that. But at the time, I remember thinking to myself, well, Miami's pretty damn deep, too. Like you had, <laughs> you had Pose, you, UD, Zoe, GP, all of you guys played big roles during the finals. Was there a sense that maybe the team wasn't getting the respect that you deserved at that point in time? Well, we've never felt we, – we didn't know nobody gave us any respect. I mean, when you put a team together like that and you add five, five or six new guys on the team, um, we knew people didn't give us respect. We knew we had to earn it. But one thing that we did, we knew our roles. And that's something that usually never ha- – it takes a while or a year for a team to figure out their roles. We Everybody knew their role. We knew Gary was and James Posey were going to close games out because of their defense. We knew what Alonzo brought defensively. Um, I knew that when in that second unit, I can let a guy beat me off the dribble. And I knew Alonzo was going to be there to challenge him at the rim. Um, we never had to fight over the ball. And, you know, the second unit, they knew that Rouse was going to run a ton of pick and rolls for me and turn me out in the post and get my opportunities on the offensive end. Um, we knew late in the games that we were going to spread the floor and let D-Wade go in the pick and roll and ISO. So I think that's what was special that we all knew our role and we never fought um, for the ball or fought for situations. We knew everybody knew their role and that's what was great about it. Antoine, you were, you, you played both forward positions. If, if mm-hmm. I remember right, you would even play center every once in a while in Boston and a little bit in Miami. And I'm not saying this just because you're on the show, but you were very much ahead of your time, I think as a positional oh, position list kind of player. Yeah. I mean, you had a great career, so I'm not really sure how to ask this question, but I almost I just wonder if you look at the game the way it's played now and almost kind of wish you you, you could have played in a game that was coached and, and sort of stylized the way it is now. You know, not 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 saying you regret anything from your other your, your, your career, but I just wonder what you think about that kind of thing. It's weird. I think I make it to the NBA. I made it to the NBA because of my versatility and, and being able to do multiple things on the court. And then when I got in the league, it's just sometimes you don't if you don't play for the right coach, that's going to allow you to do that. I was very fortunate to play for Rick Pitino early in my mm-hmm. career. Jim O'Brien, those guys coached me in college, so they knew my skill set better than anybody. Um, you talked about the Dallas year. My Dallas year, I felt like was my best year skill wise. Mm-hmm. And if um, and numbers don't explain how I felt and um, the way Don Nelson used me. Um, played all five positions, played a lot of point guard, different types of pick and rolls. Just being able to use my full skill level was um, just a fun year for me. I played all 82 games. Um, I think we won 52 games there. We ended up getting eliminated in the first round by Sacramento. But just individually, I felt so good after that uh, season from my skill level. But, oh, I wish I played in this era. Um, You know how much criticism I took for shooting threes? Oh, um, <laughs> yes. Being in Boston with the media there um, and all those things. I mean, I took a lot. I you know a funny story. So when I got traded to Dallas, the first thing Don Nelson told me, he said, I don't want you dancing. Huh. He said, I, it was it was weird. It was like the funny thing is like, I don't want you dancing. It's like, I don't want you. Uh, I don't want you doing that here. And I don't know. He's, he's old school or whatever. But I mean, I respect that. And I obviously respected Don Nelson. But just the, my style of playing the way I played was just not as acceptable as what guys are getting away with now and the way the game is played now. 
I always tell guys I made a, a lot of money playing the game uh, when I played, but I'm probably missing out about 200 million if I was playing now. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just because the, the game fits me better. I mean, think about it. I was shooting eight, nine threes a game, and people were yeah. going crazy on me. Yeah. Should they shooting 50 threes a game as a team? And you got guys shooting 14, 15 threes a, ga- a night um, individually. Yeah. So just imagine I, I was playing this time. Yeah, I mean, I remember not knowing why you were shooting so many threes back then. Yeah. You, you know, you were. Like, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't ready for it. You know, just people. It was just mm-hmm. so new. People didn't really understand what what the point of it was. But um, I, I wonder if you if you look at anybody in the NBA today that reminds you maybe of of yourself when you were playing. If there's if there's a player out there who, who who's your whose game you recognize as maybe being close to how you played. Um, I really like. Uh, Draymond Green's game, I think, I don't, obviously, mm-hmm. I don't think he shoots it like I did from the three, but I think his versatility, um, he emphasized a little bit more defense on defense than I did when I played, but I'm talking about offensively as far as right. passing, uh, screening, getting guys shots, and, and those type of things. I like the way he plays, pushing the pushing the fast break and creating opportunities on the break. Um, obviously, then there's other guys that are, that are great that I, that I love watching. Obviously, Giannis um, is, is terrific. Um, LeBron James, his versatility at his side, Kevin Durant. Um, I really like the guys that 6'8", 6'9", 6'10", that can step out on the perimeter, make a three, um, and also push the break. Um, I love those guys. You know, the Heat need a power forward right now, right? Heat need a lot right now because <laughs> they want to compete again. <laughs> uh, yeah, they lost – uh, P.J. Tucker was a bit lost. That's going to be a big loss yeah. to them. I don't know if they're going to replace him. Do you think if Jimmy makes that shot in game seven, if that goes in, do you think the Heat can win the finals last year over the Warriors? I think they have a – they would have had a better shot. I don't know if they could have scored enough to keep up with the Warriors. Um, but defensively, they were so sting- – they would have been so stingy. Yeah. Um, and, and that's where the Heat and, and the game plan would have been a lot – a lot different than the Celtics. Um, you know, I hate to take away from Golden State, but I, if you watch it, you go back and watch the film. Boston gave um, Golden State that championship. They, I, I was at game four. They up four or five with four minutes to go, and they probably took seven straight three-point shots. And it wasn't from Jason Tatum. It wasn't from their best player on the floor. Um, and then the last two games, you turn it over a combined 42, 43 times, and two games against a team like Golden State, there's no way you can win. So you're really beating yourself. So um, I believe the Heat, because they would have been a little bit more disciplined. Yeah. And, you know what I mean? And Eric Sposum has been there before. I thought Yudoka did a terrific job, but um, Eric Sposum has been there before. It would have been a little different. Now, where, where it could have been problems at, I think the Heat were wearing down physically. Yeah. Um, you know, physically they were wearing down. I don't know how much Jimmy Butler would have had left in the tank. That's true. Um, so that's that's the only thing that I could think about um, that may have stopped Miami in, in the finals. Um, but it still was a terrific team. I bring a terrific season. Jimmy Butler um, was simply amazing. I, I know it's different for everybody. So what was it like for you to win a championship? You know, obviously mm-hmm. you had achieved playoff success with Boston and you had, mm-hmm. you know, done a lot in your career individually, but to be a part of this team and be able to prove all the doubters wrong, to be able to win a ring, what was that feeling like? Oh, it was unbelievable. It's, it's, it's what you, it's what I, what you live for as a professional athlete 
Um, I always tell people, one, the first thing is to make it. You know, you all, we all want to make it to the league. And um, I was able to accomplish that. And then you want to be the best player you possibly can be. And, you know, got to all-star status and start to be one of the elite guys in the league. And then the next part is to get paid and make, make some money, make a bunch of money. And then that last thing is to get that ring. And I feel like I accomplished all those things. And, and that's one thing that I look back on. And like I said, this ring is special. I won one in college. That also is very near and dear to me is winning one in college is special too. Um, but the one in the league is winning with that group of guys that I won it with. Um, I'll never forget that, being able to win it with Gary and Alonzo and D-Wade and Shaq and, and, and Posey and UD, Jay Will. Um, just a special bond and the respect that I have for them and what we was able to accomplish. And you guys alluded to it earlier that it was a difficult season. It did start off bad. It wasn't all peaches and cream. And to, to know that we can fight through it and stay together and not waver um, from, from what the goal was, and that's to win the title, um, is special. And, you know, it's funny, um, I'll tell you guys a story. During the pandemic, when, you know, the world was in chaos, we got together on a conference call. I think you guys may have saw a little couple of clips of it. We, did. We, got together, we got together on a Zoom call, and that was just so special to be able to go back and reminisce on the season and the jokes, the funs, the fights, the arguments. And one thing that was good, a lot of the negativity never got out um, to the public, which was great. Uh, but that was just, that was a historic time to be able to be on the call and, and share those jokes and to share the, the body fat jokes and um, <laughs> you know, all of the mistakes that we made. Shaq, D. Wade and Gary Payton in the playoffs, getting in the huge fight. And yeah. just all the things that we, we kind of went through to, to get to that moment was, was special. Speaking of championships, uh, while we have you here, um, the great Bill Russell passing away. Mm -hmm. I, you obviously spent a lot of your career in Boston. I'm just curious. I'm sure you have to have some sort of Bill Russell story. Um, I was very fortunate, man. Um, when I came, got drafted by the Celtics in 96, all the, the legends were still involved with the organization. Mm. Um, ML Carr was the GM head coach. Dennis Johnson was the assistant coach. Casey Jones was the other assistant coach. Tommy Heinsohn was doing radio. Kuzi was around. Larry Bird was around. Red Allback was around. And as well as uh, Bill Russell. So I got to spend a lot of time with Bill. Bill would come to practices. Um, for the first, my first four years, Bill was around a ton. Um, and he was at games and he would give advices. I have, um, I posted some on Instagram, a, a picture of me and Bill talking. And I got two other pictures in my house of uh, that I took with Bill. But True Celtic, um, always talked to me about winning. Everything was all about winning, um, never about individual play. Talked to me about getting better um, on, a, on a consistent basis, me and Paul. And the Celtic organization at the time was going through, I mean, had lost Len Bias, then Reggie, mm. Reggie Lewis. Yeah. Um, and then I got drafted, and then Paul after that. So they're starting to turn the corner. But um, just one of those, when he passed away, just make you feel even special to be a part of that organization. I consider Boston uh, my second home. And it's tough because I won a championship in Miami and I have great memories there as well. But it's something about being a part of that organization um, yeah. that has a special place in my heart. And those, all the ex-players um, make you feel that way as well um, when you're around them. And they did a special, we did our 70, I didn't even realize this, that the Celtics, are one of the few teams, I think maybe six teams that's been in existence for the whole 75 years. Yeah. And we did a dinner um, in March 
and just to be a part of the history and the, um, to be able to talk and be up there with all those legends is a special moment. So um, we lost an icon, man. We lost somebody that's special. One thing I can say that I learned that I feel bad about, um, I didn't realize how much of an activist and what he did off the court um, until he passed away. So it, it, it made me read and learn more about him. And what he had to endure um, is remarkable. Um, playing in the 60s and 70s is, was crazy, man, what he had to go through as a player. And to see him go through that and to take an active role as an activist and still play basketball, my um, hat's off to him, one of the special guys to ever do it. Yeah, I think we all kind of went through the same thing, reading everything afterwards. And you, you think you know everything about him, and then you'll just hear a couple more stories. And that's why I felt compelled to ask you, because it's just, yeah. you know, you, you take that chance to, to learn more about him. Oh, um, this was great. Antoine Walker, thank you so much for joining the show. That was awesome. Really appreciate <laughs> it. All right. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. That's Locked on Heat. Thank you to Antoine Walker. We've got our rewatch of Game 4 of the 2006 NBA Finals coming out later this week on Wednesday, and then the rest of the series coming out after that. Please subscribe. Locked on Heat, YouTube, Odyssey, and wherever you listen to podcasts.